0: the book of Revelation is all about the revealing or the unveiling. And the question is of what? And it is of the person of Jesus Christ, what he sees in the church, and what the future of this world holds. Man, what important topics that we need to look at. So we're going to look at a message called the unveiling in the book of Revelation in chapter one. And it's today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. There are many allusions in the book of Revelation to Old Testament Pictures and realities of what God did. And here's one. Jesus Christ loves us and he released us. If you are a Christian tonight, you've been released from a type of Egypt. Egypt's a type of the world. Pharaoh's a type of Satan. You've been released by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost, sealing the covenant. To be behind the door is to be safe and protected from judgment. And Jesus Christ does that for us. The letter is meant to encourage Christians that Domitian is not the ultimate ruler, Christ is. And Christ loved us so much, he shed his blood for us. God is still in control, John might say to the Christians in Asia. Domitian may think he's strong, but he is nothing. By the way, the Roman historian Suetonius tells us that Domitian, quote, became an object of terror and hatred to all, but he was overthrown at last by a conspiracy of his friends and favorite freedmen, to which also his wife was privy. Close quote. That means his wife knew that people were going to take him down, and apparently she was cool with it. That's how bad this man was, and Nero was no different. A lot of these Roman rulers were actually lunatics who were probably if not demon possessed very influenced by demonic powers Jesus loves you he's released you and he did it by his own blood and now you are free that's what the book of revelation tells us we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ we have forgiveness of our trespasses by his blood and we have we've been purchased by his blood acts 2028 20, and he, verse 6, Revelation 1, has made us. Notice he did it. He made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Good night. No, just kidding. We're, we're not quite done. <laughs> Although that would be a pretty cool place to end. This is called a doxology. and Whenever you see a doxology, the word doxa in Greek is the word for glory or weighty. And so when you hear of a doxology, it's a weighty way to say with substance, or it's to give glory to God. That's a doxology. And so that's what's here. He has made us a kingdom priest to his God. In what sense are we priests to God? We're we're a kingdom of priests. There's a priesthood of all believers. The New King James, and I think the King James says he has made us kings and priests. But I think it's probably better to say a kingdom and priest to his God. Although I would say it's good to say we are royalty. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has made a transfer of citizenship for you. Having saved you by his blood, he's now transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's your present reality so that even if the human king is off his rocker and persecuting Christians, there is another king reigning and that kingdom is the one that's going to last forever. He has made us a kingdom of priests. What do we offer to God in the new covenant? Well, there's no more animal sacrifices, so what does God want from a kingdom of priests who are in a new covenant by the blood of Jesus? Just a couple of simple things. He wants you to present your body as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You'll be trying that for the rest of your life, right? He wants you to offer yourself, not an animal anymore. You offer yourself on the altar. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. Number two. He wants the fruit of your lips, giving thanks to his name. Hebrews 13, 15. The book of Hebrews is written to a bunch of Jewish people who are wondering what to do now. If there's no more temple offerings, no more substitutes of animals, what do I do now? You give the sacrifice of praise. That's the fruit of your lips, giving thanks to his name. And Hebrews 13, 16 says, And you do good and share with others. With such sacrifices, God is pleased. That's what God wants. But God wants something else. He wants you to be a mediator of the word of God. Our position as priests, says one author, means we mediate God's word or the knowledge of God to others. And so we, as we live our lives, it's both the man or woman and the message that we articulate where we try to bring others into the kingdom. That's why we're here. That's why we're on the radio, by the way. Because we want other people to hear about the truth of Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2 9. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He wants you to be proclaiming his excellencies as you live for your king and that kingdom. Verse 7 Behold, the word means see, lo, look, listen, he is coming. With the clouds, oh, I know you were anticipating it. You were saying, Revelation, let's talk about the second coming. What are we talking about, seven churches and stuff like that, and Suetonius and Nero and Domitian? Here it is. Behold, look, he is coming. The Greek word for coming here is "erkomai." He's coming with the clouds. And who's going to see him? Every eye will see him, even notice those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, even so, seems a little odd to say amen here, after people are mourning. Amen. Go ahead and cry. (laughs) Amen. We normally don't do that, do we? What does amen mean? It means we agree or so let it be. Yeah. That, that, that's a good translation. Yeah. Yeah. That's amen. It's true. Thank you. You just, on Sunday mornings, don't say yeah. Although maybe you should, I don't know. All right. It's forever captured on the recording now. (laughs) It's good, though. He's coming with the clouds. Does this mean he's coming with rain clouds? Is it going to be like a stormy day when he comes back? I don't think so. I think the clouds here has to do with the glory of God. Do you remember when God manifested his power in the tabernacle and even on Mount Sinai, there were clouds associated with it? And it was called the glory cloud. Remember that? And so uh, you often hear the Shekinah glory. What is that? It's the manifest presence of God. It's it's some way in which you can tangibly see and sense the presence of God. And he's coming with the clouds, I think here, glory clouds. I want you to turn to the book of Daniel. So you're going to go to your Old Testament, and here's where we're going to see an important allusion, although it's almost really a quotation, Daniel 7. And it's found in verses 13 and 14. And I want you to take a look at this language because it's going to have an impact on where we're headed, which I don't think we're going to get to tonight. But Daniel 7 is a key passage. And I would encourage you that you um, make sure you've marked this because it comes up over and over and over again. Daniel 7, verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions. By the way, it's been said that the book of Daniel is kind of the Old Testament equivalent to the book of Revelation in the New Testament. in in the sense of being prophetic. I kept looking in the night visions, Daniel 7, 13, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Behold 7:13 of Daniel with the clouds of heaven one like the son of man is coming. How often did Jesus describe himself as the son of man in the New Testament over and over again. He's called son of God but we know that on many occasions he said he called himself the son of man when people see that, they say, well, what does that mean? It's actually, even though you could say he's son of God, he's divine, and he's son of man, he's human, 100% God, 100% man. Son of man is actually more specifically a messianic title of divinity. It actually comes from Daniel 7, 13, and it references this one who comes and has this incredible dominion and power and authority. Jesus is coming with the clouds. In the book of Matthew, if you turn there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew 24, the famous Olivet Discourse, Jesus says this, and I believe he's referring to a second coming, although we do have some scholars who debate this. Matthew 24, set in the context of the second coming of Christ, he says these words, verse 30, Matthew 24, verse 30. He says, and then the sign of the Son of Man, you can note Daniel 7, 13 again, Matthew 24, 30, will appear in the sky. And all the tribes of the earth, reminiscent of Revelation 1, 7, will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with what? With power and great glory. Now, I think there's going to be two reactions to the second coming of Jesus Christ. One is going to be, uh-oh. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Matthew 24, set in the context of the Second coming of Christ, he says these words. Verse 30. Matthew 24, verse 30. He says, And then the sign of the Son of Man, you can note Daniel 7:13 again, Matthew 24, 30, will appear in the sky. And all the tribes of the earth, reminiscent of Revelation 1:7, will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with what? With power. And great glory. Now, I think there's going to be two reactions to the second coming of Jesus Christ. One is going to be, uh uh-oh. And one is going to be, oh, yeah. How do you like that for simplicity tonight? Which camp are you in? Uh Uh-oh. Or, oh, yeah. Okay. In Revelation six, we have some uh, similar imagery. Revelation six, back to our book, Revelation six. To look ahead just for a moment, as John is describing the seals being broken, he has gotten to the sixth seal, and he says, "And I looked." Revelation six twelve. When he broke the Lamb broke the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair the whole moon became like blood the stars of the sky revelation 6:13 fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island moved out of their places keep reading the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks. Here's the reaction of group A, the Uh uh-oh group. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? I can tell you this. If you want to stand on that day and you want to be kept from stumbling, you must be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. He's coming with the clouds. Now, there are some folks, and I think it's worth showing you this, go to Isaiah 19, Isaiah 19, who say that these references to the coming of the Lord do not always speak of a literal second coming. I'll show you an example of their argument. I'll leave it to you to wrestle with this a little bit more. But here's an oracle. It's a weighty message spoken against Egypt. In Isaiah 19 here's the language. The oracle concerning Egypt, behold, Isaiah 19:1, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud is about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. The heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. So the Lord says, I will incite Egyptians against Egyptians. They will each fight against his brother, each against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of the Egyptians, Isaiah 19.3, will be demoralized within them. I will confound their strategy so that they will resort to idols and ghosts of the dead and to mediums and spiritists. Moreover, I will deliver the Egyptians into the hand of a cruel master and a mighty king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. Here's the argument. Some say... Well, when you have this kind of imagery, it doesn't always mean a literal second coming. It means that maybe God's going to show up through an invading army like Assyria or Babylon and mete out his justice through an army. And so this is simply symbolic language is the argument. Now, I want you to be aware of this because you need to be able to take in the full scope of how people are interpreting the book. I'll just say this. Here's my view. I believe that in Revelation 1, 7, and the other passages we'll look at that are clearly second coming passages, that's exactly what they are. But I do think this, that sometimes in Old Testament passages, you have foreshadowings of the day of the Lord or foreshadowings of the second coming of Christ, namely the day of the Lord. And remember how I told you, even in the book of Joel, there's a locust invasion, and the locust invasion is a foreshadowing or it's a picture of the day of the Lord in embryo. Remember when we talked about that? I think that this is one of the cases. Now, you'll see, if you look at the end of uh, Isaiah 19, and there are people who f- believe the whole of Isaiah 19 is actually prophetic for the future. But it says this In that day, 1919, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near its border. It will become a sign. Pay, pay special attention to the phrase in that day, by the way. It's in verse 18 and 19. Um, It will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a champion, and he will deliver them. Thus the Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. They will even worship with sacrifice and offering and will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking, but healing. So they will return to the Lord, and he will respond to them, and he will heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed is Egypt, notice my people and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Certainly, last day's implications here as we look at the Bible, go back to Revelation, and we'll finish with verse 8 tonight. Revelation 1.8. But this is the both a symbolic imagery, and I'll just say this. When you practice a literal principle of interpretation, what you are doing is saying, I'm going to take the Bible in the sense in which it is intended. Remember that? So when it's clearly symbolism, we'll take it as symbolism. When it's maybe even dual prophecy, I don't think that in many of these instances, it's hard to figure out. In Revelation 1-7, it says, Every eye will see him, those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, even so. Amen. Just write in your margin there, Zechariah twelve ten. It says these words. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Zechariah 12.10. And finally for tonight, these words following this um, imagery of the coming of Christ, verse eight. I am the Alpha And the omega. Now the alpha alpha and the omega is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The equivalent in Hebrew is the Aleph Tav. If you want to spell it out, it's A-L-E-P-H. Tav is T-A-V. The first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. We could say that God is declaring, I am the A to Z. And those who study this language say it means, and everything else in between. I am B and C and X and Y as well. I am everything. I'm the beginning, the middle, and the end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Remember, he's establishing his authority to assure his people and to obviously speak to their situation. Says the Lord God, notice who is and who was and who is to come. Here's the word ponticrator, the Almighty in Hebrews, El Shaddai. I am the omnipotent, almighty God. Knox has this as I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of all things and their end. Scholars say this phrase speaks of timeless sovereignty. He outlasts all things, anything on the earth. He is mighty. The first and the last is an equivalent uh, phrase. When you see the first and the last, it's simply another way of saying the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, the Aleph Tav, the A to Z. That's what Jesus is. Now, look at that's what God is, but Jesus is part of the triune uh, God. Look at Revelation 1 17. John, and we'll have this for next week, he says, When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, and he said, Do not be afraid. And John heard that many times during Jesus' earthly ministry, right? Don't be afraid. I am what? I'm the first and the last, and the living one. I was what? Dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus Christ has to be the subject here because God the Father didn't die, Jesus did. Well, friend, it's always good to know the guy that has the keys. Amen. (laughs) And Jesus has the keys of death and Hades. This is an incredible insight about his person and his power. You see, Jesus has the key to life evermore. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. And you want to make sure that you know the judge and that you've done what he said to be right with him. Jesus is the one who is the judge, that's John chapter five. So make sure you know him today. If you've not met the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not received him as your savior and your Lord, cry out to him and just say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. I receive you as my Lord and savior. I wanna know you and I wanna serve you. I repent of my sin, pray if it's you. I repent of my sin and I receive the gift of salvation through Jesus save me, change me, use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friend, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and if the teaching so far in Revelation has piqued your interest, I'd like to encourage you to visit our website and find some DVDs that would be of interest to you at our store. There's one about the seven seals. There's another describing the new heaven and the new earth, and a third about the mark of the beast. Now, you can purchase these DVDs and you'll be contributing to the mission of Walk in Truth when you click on the store tab at walkintruth.com. Just make sure you click on the store. You can check out the products that are there. There are several on Revelation. There's other things there to encourage your walk. And each time you buy a product, you encourage us and partner with us. Well, this Sunday, we're going to have a Meet the Pastors event at 1030 a.m., right after our 9 a.m. service. Come on out, hang out. I'd love to meet you. You can meet our other great pastors here at Living Truth and get a little bit more familiar about the church behind Walk in Truth. Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona is located at 1009 Arsenal Way, that's 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona, 1009. Get the info you seek when you click the visit tab at walkintruth.com or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Just look for the red pillars, the red logo, and you'll keep up to date on all the info that's going on. Now come back on Monday as we keep plugging away in chapter one of the book of Revelation. There's so much hard-hitting stuff in this book and we gotta get the foundation right and it's awesome to build upon it. We're gonna see what God has for us on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. We'll catch you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.